Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 69, and nice. we're reviewing part six, Stone Ocean, Bohemian Rhapsody 1. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. A.K.A. Bohemian Ecstatic 1. Or part one. <laughs> yes, we do have a localized name. Actually, we have a ton of localized names or to- localized titles for the episodes in part three of Stone Ocean. And this one is Bohemian Ecstatic. Uh, it's all right. Yeah, I feel like obviously it's it's Rhapsody that they're replacing. I felt like they could have used a, another musical term like Bohemian Symphony and it would have sounded a little bit more pleasant. I don't know. I would have preferred ecstasy over ecstatic. Yeah. Because that, that fits the idea of a stand a bit more than ecstatic. I don't know what the fuck they're thinking with ecstatic. But we question a lot of localized stand names and titles in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and this is just going to be another one of them. But the reason we say welcome back to Strictly JoJo is because we had a break week last week um, while we were in japan so we just got back um several days ago we're still kind of recovering from jet lag but we uh are happy to report back that our trip was very much um filled with weeb stuff but specifically some jojo's bizarre adventure stuff yeah we went to jojo land (laughs) yeah right (laughs) um yeah more specifically uh Of course, we went to Akihabara, which is like the capital of weeb and otaku culture. I guess one JoJo-related thing from that excursion is I was able to pick up um, the Ichiban Kuji figure of Part 6 Jotaro, um, which is part of like the the lottery that they had in Japan. I think, was it Lawson? One of the Konbini um, franchises over there had this lottery for jojo part six figures and i was able to get a it was a second hand figure of the jotaro but it was still in great condition i just didn't have the box or they didn't have the box to uh, package it with but that was fine because i was able to bring it home safely and now it's on display with (laughs) with jolene Um, and even though she's from a different figure line they're both scaled pretty well so I'm, i'm glad that you know the two are reunited um on on my display shelf. We saw a lot of JoJo merch in Akihabara, mm-hmm. which is to be expected. But when you go to certain figure stores, there are cases arranged, usually by anime, um, where they try to keep it that way. And I feel like every store we went to at least had one case or one significant display for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And some of them had some really cool items. Mm-hmm. Like there was one store that had these I mean, just ginormous figures of part four characters. The one I saw was Josuke. And I'm like, I've never seen this figure before. I didn't even know it existed. But the box like took up the entire case. I want to say it was like half the size of my body. I was so surprised at it. Um, they even had uh, the, oh, I don't remember the word because it's like in Italian. Um, but there was like a, a line of figures of the other mem- the other Joe Bros from part five. And those ones are really cool. I have seen them before because I was wanting to get the Mista one. And it was out of my price range, but I was very Mm -hmm. tempted to buy some of those. So like figures that I didn't know existed um, or are really hard to come by in the States just because there's no one who who has them because they're not making them anymore. Or even memorabilia from the Jojo World pop-ups that were happening throughout Japan. Yeah. Uh, I think you saw one at one secondhand shop that had those displays where it was a picture of Joseph and Susie Q. It was so part cute. Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it was really cool. The, the concept they had for these, um, like the memorabilia, cause it was a framed picture, but the frame was like really ornate, like very much like Jojo's Bizarre Adventure type of feel, like something you'd see out of like part five in Italy, um, or even like part one, just like very regal. And then they had like, I guess technically there's screenshots from the anime, but it's of different moments. So again, like you said, the Suzy Q and Joseph one was really cute. There was even um, a a Polaroid version 
of the Stardust Crusaders. Oh, right, yeah. When they're in the uh, the desert and someone takes an actual picture of them. We have it on our desk just because you printed it out and framed it for our our podcast desk here. But it was cool to see that they even did that one. And even though like these JoJo figures obviously were pretty pricey because they are JoJo figures, with the dollar being really strong, the U.S. dollar being really strong in Japan, they were surprisingly cheap. Um, they were affordable. Yeah, like they were v- much more in our price range. Mm-hmm. With the the really small, I don't know if you call it small, like <laughs> relative, like how cheap the Japanese yen was uh, with the U.S. dollar's buying power. I was very tempted to pick up a lot of um, JoJo figures, but I decided just to go with the one Jotaro because I knew that that was the figure that I wanted the most to get in Japan. We also saw a couple of advertisements for Stone Ocean while we were there. So on TV, the occasional Stone Ocean trailer would pop up. But then when we went to Shibuya, there was a like a physical permanent billboard for Stone Ocean that was up for most of the trip. And then I think on the opposite side of like Shibuya Crossing, there was one of the TV screens that was hooked up to a like a speaker and they were actually playing the jojo's bizarre adventure stone ocean trailer for part three so you could hear it all throughout shibuya crossing like Mm. you just heard suddenly like jolene's voice echoing through and i'm like that is so fucking cool although they changed that permanent billboard i think a day after uh, stone ocean part three premiered i i know this because i wanted to take a picture of it uh when we went to shibuya a second time but they had already replaced it with a different advertisement that's okay. At least they had ad- advertisements because here in the States, mm, like, there was nothing. yeah, Netflix has not been advertising, at least on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. So, yeah, it was nice to see some advertisements for Stone Ocean. But I think the JoJo highlight of our trip was when we went to Osaka. Do you want to tell that story? Yeah. So, I, I know that we mentioned previously that we wanted to either do uh, the JoJo bar in Tokyo, which is called Bardio or this Jojo ramen shop in Osaka. Uh, Unfortunately, we weren't able to go to Bardio because it was kind of out of our way, but we did make a day trip to Osaka. And first item on our agenda in Osaka was to visit the Jojo ramen shop. And I don't know how to pronounce the Japanese name for the shop, but translated to English, it's called the noodle shop with a strong peculiarity, which I guess is very fitting for a ramen shop that is Jojo themed. Um, it is run by a, a Jojo fan who is also an excellent ramen cook. Uh, is that the, the right term for a ramen chef? Ramen I don't know, chef, actually. <laughs> ramen connoisseur. Um, so I think he opens his shop daily from 12 to 2 p.m. for lunch and then 7 to 11 p.m. for dinner. We made it in time for the lunch rush. We were actually second in line um, to to try out the ramen. And we can share pictures of the exterior and the interior and the Discord. But it was just so many JoJo references in this shop. It was fantastic. And as, as soon as you walk in, it's just a wall and the counter are just filled with memorabilia and posters and pictures and figures um each individual seat had like a a specific jojo character themed to it so you sat at the seat that had polnarav i was like hell yeah let's go (laughs) and then i sat at the seat that had jotaro so it was like fate it was perfect yeah jojo and fate those things mix well together uh he also had stardust crusaders um part three playing on a tv in the corner and it was towards the end of part three because it was the battle uh, between Polnareff and Iggy and uh, Vanilla Ice. And so unfortunately we had to live through Iggy's demise, but you know, it was nice entertainment while we were eating and the ramen shop owner himself, he individually prepared everybody's um, ramen or their dishes and he would give a a special performance uh, when he had to cool down the noodles. I think he would. When the noodles were ready, and he was taking mm-hmm. them out and like draining them. 
Yeah, um, he would play a sound on his speaker, and it was Jotaro's aura, like when he's doing it multiple times, and he would shake the noodles, and then as soon as the sound bite was over, he'd lean over the bar and do this really good aura in Jotaro's voice right in your face <laughs> with the noodles in front of you. Uh, and so that was that was pretty fun too to witness um and then yeah out came the ramen and the ramen was really good of all the ramen we had in japan that was like not even saying this is a, a bias or anything like it was genuinely the best that that i had anyway um he he added so it was like a mix of tonkatsu and miso and he added some sort of oils or spices to it that just gave it a really really good flavor and then on top of that the noodles you could tell had some sort of like seasoning in them and that just added, like, amplified the flavor overall. So it was fantastic food. So not only is it worth it to go there to see all the JoJo stuff, but also to try the really, really good ramen. So like I said, we'll share some pictures of the JoJo ramen shop again in, in Osaka in the Discord. I'll also drop a link to the ramen shop owner's Twitter so you can follow him on there. Um, yeah, it was, it was just a great time in. It was one thing that I wanted to get off my Japan trip bucket list. So I'm very glad that I was able to see that and witness that in person. And if you're not a member of our Discord, the link to join is in the description. And we're going to have a full bonus episode dedicated to our Japan trip on our Patreon. Where we're going to talk in depth about everything that we did for the week and a half. Um, talk more about the JoJo stuff that we saw, share a lot more pictures and, and videos. Um, so if you're interested in seeing that or supporting us on Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash strictly series. Moving on to just one small piece of JoJo news uh, before we move on to our discussion, although I don't think you'll consider this small news. Uh, I just happened to f find this while scrolling on Twitter. I think uh, one of Bandai's Twitter accounts, maybe the premium Bandai Twitter, um, came out with a tweet saying that they will be opening pre-orders for a weather report hat. <laughs> I want this hat so bad. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it looks like the hat pre-order will only be available for Japanese customers because there is a link to where you can, I guess, pre-order the product, but it'll take you directly to a different page if you're not on like Japan's VPN. Or uh, it, it asks you to choose your region and your language. But when I mm -hmm. chose English, like US then English, it didn't have the weather report hat. So yeah, I think you have to go to, you have to navigate to the, to the Japan site. Yeah, but fortunately they have a picture of the hat itself in the tweet so you can take a look at it. I guess this confirms that it is a hat and it is not weather reports hair, which I mean, it has a, a point of contention. Out of it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a point of contention for me as I watched through part three, uh, but definitely a piece of memorabilia that any JoJo fan would want, especially Courtney. Um, I don't know if there's a price for it here. I imagine because premium Bandai's like their their fashion products are pretty pricey, so. It's probably going to cost a pretty penny, but for those of you who are lucky enough to live in Japan, we'll post a link to this tweet in the Discord so you can potentially pre-order Weather Report's hat, his noggin. I really want it. It's so cute. I just, I love Weather Report so much, and this hat is just so perfect. It's not as, like, luscious as, like, what I imagined his hat to be, but as, like, a mem piece of memorabilia. I, I think it's so cute. I want it. And it even says that like it's stuffed at the top so that you get that weather report effect where it's like a really tall hat on your head. And I'm mm. just like, that's <laughs> that's perfect. I, I would love to get my hands on this. I really wish that we could or I wish they were selling it while we were in Japan because then I would have gotten it. Yeah, although I'm sure there'll be like an Etsy seller who can recreate this yeah. and have us JoJo fans stateside get to enjoy <laughs> weather reports hat slash hair let's talk about part three of stone ocean before we even dive into the first episode of this core let's talk about the the finale or i guess this last batch overall because i know we're going to talk about it when we reach the final episode but i do have some initial thoughts i want to share which is mainly around how fucking amazing stone ocean ended i think that 
the the last batch, the last core, um, just blew it out of the park. It was such a great part of the story. Every episode was a wild ride. Um, I found the animation to be another step up in improvement over the last part. Um, and I, I just I think that David Production killed it with this not not only with Stone Ocean overall, but with again this third core. What were your thoughts? Yeah, my my mind was pretty blown too with how part three turned out. I think compared to the first two parts, um, part of Stone Ocean, so Stone Ocean part three, uh, compared to the first two parts, this part three felt more engaging. Like I I really wanted to find out what would happen in the next episode, and maybe it's because this is the climax of Stone Ocean, and this is where we finally get to see a battle between the Joe stars and quote unquote Dio's uh, Dio's lineage. Um, although that's kind of as a proxy through Pucci and like, I'm just blown away that a simple prisoner's tale would turn into this universe shattering epic with what happens in the conclusion. And I know we'll definitely have a lot of discussion about the conclusion when it gets when we get to the part six finale, but I think what I like about it is that it was evocative of part one, Phantom Blood, in that the story slightly ends in tragedy with the life of a Joestar in true jeopardy, or I guess all of their lives if you think about the ending because it's a like a completely different universe now. Because I feel like that was kind of lacking after part three uh, with part four and part five. Like those are kind of contained stories with their JoJo's. It doesn't really have any world world shattering effects. Um, or even after part one, like all the other subsequent JoJo's, they've, they've lived through their stories. So there wasn't really anything at stake. So it was kind of like Jonathan was <laughs> at the short end of the stick. Uh, but yeah, I think it kind of brings everything back to, again, like this idea of fate and destiny tying in with mortality and what you want to, what you want to achieve in life, which I think is a very noble crusade when we see the JoJo protagonists' stories play out, especially with Jolene. And so I definitely enjoyed that aspect of Stone Ocean. I kind of disagree with, um, animation quality because I feel like there were a couple shots of Jolene and some other characters that felt a little bit wonky and maybe that's just the way they wanted to adapt certain shots or scenes from the manga but still top-notch uh, production by David production that yeah it's it's sad to see the conclusion of Stone Ocean but obviously we'll get to relive our our memories of watching this with our weekly discussions. But yeah, it was just an amazing part to witness. I agree with what you said about like this echoing a lot of what happened in part one and with Jonathan's part. I feel like this really was bringing things full circle because I guess not really spoilers, but like most JoJo fans know this just because of being in the community. Um, but things sort of reset like there Iraqi chose to do some a sort of reset um with part seven so it is sort of bringing everything full circle and hearkening back to the origin hearkening back to where it all began and you can tell David production really infused a lot of that in the very final episodes um the last version of the OP I mean just all of that uh, the last version of the ED which is like technically its only version because it's roundabout for roundabout for stone ocean but yeah it's just nice to see all those callbacks and that's always been something that we as jojo fans appreciate about david production is the care and attention that they give to jojo's bizarre adventure i mean throughout every single part there's always these little easter eggs or callbacks or little details that they go above and beyond with and it was no exception here with the final core of stone ocean but we'll talk plenty more about that as we go through these episodes for the next 14 weeks or so. Um, so we'll we'll be sure to share our in-depth thoughts when we get to the final episode. But for now, let's jump into Bohemian Rhapsody Part 1. 
All right, JoJo fans, it's time to question if this is the real life or if this is just fantasy. As we dive down into our synopsis and discussion for part 6, episode 25, Bohemian Rhapsody 1. Jolene, Hermes, and Emporio execute Operation Stoneshank Redemption apparently in the blink of an eye. So time to avert our attention to Poochie Gangier, who continues cooking up a recipe for disaster by recruiting three of the big Brando baddies' more unfortunate-looking offspring to stop the prison posse's parade through the panhandle. Meanwhile, Hisoka Sui and Weather Report go on a prison break adventure that's tiny, toony, and a little loony on a hitchhiked truck ride, where fictional characters from a certain magical mouse-eared mass media and entertainment conglomerate spring to life in Hisoka Sui's purview and throughout the Sunshine State. Fortunately for Weather Report, he doesn't have cable TV, so his mind is uncorrupted by these visions, but unfortunately for Hisoka Sui, he is forced to chop his way through his childhood icons until he realizes that his body is not with him in Fantasyland. But for fuck's sake, if there's no Jerry, this shit ain't Warner Brothers Japan. And now on to our next segment of the show, is that a music and or fashion reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion. So I know there were a lot of pop culture references in this episode. I'm not going to go through that list, but there is one music reference, and that's with the title itself, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, I think. Pinocchio also mentions this title by name in the episode. This is, of course, a reference to Bohemian Rhapsody, a song by the British rock band Queen, released as the lead single from their fourth album, Night at the Opera. The song is a six-minute suite written by lead singer Freddie Mercury that serves as a mock opera. The song is also notable for being the most streamed song from the 20th century, and considered one of the greatest rock songs of all time, as well as Queen's most popular song. I'm pretty sure they used, or Araki used this in reference to the stand Bohemian Rhapsody's ability to blend fantasy and reality per the opening lines of Bohemian Rhapsody. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And I don't think there are any um, for this one. I know there were the references to, well, I guess the missing references to this shit ain't Disney. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I don't know if that's like a full-blown meme, but we will certainly acknowledge that in a bit. So as always, if we missed any from this episode, please reach out and let us know. We finally, finally, finally get a new OP. We all thought we were going to get a second OP in the second core, but that didn't happen. We just got some minor changes. Here in the third core, we actually got a new OP, and I was dying at the Twitter memes that kept popping up. Like, if I see this shit one more time with the third part of Stone Ocean, I'm going to lose my mind, and it's just... The thread on the road. Yeah, it's literally the first, (laughs) like, uh, the first frame of the first OP of Stone Ocean. But luckily, that was not the case. We have a full-blown, brand-new OP. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yes, so the song for the new OP is Heaven's Falling Down, sung by Sana from the band Sajo no Hana. Mob Psycho fans may recognize her as the lead vocalist in the Mob Psycho OPs featuring the Mob Choir, as well as all of the EDs with her band Sajo no Hana. Uh, I was reading that Sana worked with Karen Aoki, who was the singer for the JoJo Part 4 OP, Great Days, in rehearsing for the song and working on the English portions. So a little bit of a Part 4 connection there. Uh, Visuals-wise, yes, it's no more of the prison break. Um, We are finally out of the prison. Uh, There's a spattering of, of course, Jotaro and Star Platinum references, even in the first couple seconds where it's him and Star Platinum, then it's juxtaposed with Jolene and Stone Free, and then we see the Star Platinum disc being carried by uh, Savage Garden. Um, A lot of key items and scenes for each member of the prison posse, although I think it's worthy to note that Weather Report scene is clouded at the moment, and we're going to see that open up in the 
pen or not the 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 ultimate the final op where everything changes um and they're featured in psychedelic silhouettes and of course you have this nice homage to foo fighters as she uh, not descends she ascends to heaven you also have that that really great intense moment of emporio firing that gun (laughs) yeah (laughs) he is so intense (laughs) which i was like i think i asked you like when is this ever going to happen because it hadn't it didn't happen at any point until I think the second to last episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just it's funny that he's shooting it so frantically. Uh, that whole sequence during the chorus reminds me of um, the the first OP for Golden Wind and just how it's kind of how it's framed. The silhouettes for the Joe Bros reminds me of the OP for Part Two. Right. Where you have like Joseph and Caesar like doing fighting moves but they are silhouetted out the entire time um but it's cool because the stone ocean one is really cool because you get those background images of each character's origin story so emporio you see a skeleton oh that's his mom's skeleton (laughs) whoops um i think for hermes you see images of like the water and you see like a body in the water which i think is gloria's body anasui has an image of like a couple in a bed and then him like tinkering with like toys or like car parts I thought. car parts yeah mm-hmm. something like that um alluding to the fact that he you know killed his girlfriend and the guy she cheated on him with um and then uh, who am i missing weatherport yeah it's clouded right now um so yeah it's just it's and cool. then jolene with jotar in the cum room yeah, <laughs> and then she looks at the pendant, and she's, like, really sad because her parents are divorced. But either way, uh, it's it's nice to see all of those callbacks. I I really like the song, but, like, most secondary JoJo OPs, it's good. It's just not as hard-hitting as the first one. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you think about Stardust Crusaders Part 3, the first OP, Stand Proud, is always going to be the fucking best one. The second one is still good. It's just never going to hit the same way as that first one. So it's the same thing here. But I did really enjoy the song. I love that it they went with a more, not like espionage, but like not even somber, just a little more intense, a little more moody, because it really is a good fit for the part that you're, or the part of the story that we're going through right now. And I, I am happy to see that they acknowledge Foo Fighters. I think the only downside is that in the second iteration of the first OP during the second core, um, we never got that like a zoom out of that iconic image of Jolene on Jotaro's back. They just oh, right. sort of alluded to it in a zoom up, and that was that was it. So I was kind of hoping we'd get that at some point, but we didn't. Yeah, because this OP ends with um, Jolene facing off against Poochie. Um, yeah, just to comment a little bit more about the song itself, I thought it did have a very similar espionage and Bond theme, especially because one of the chord progressions in the verse yeah in the, f- the first verse that song feels very bond um and it, that part that kind of part of this makes me think back to fighting gold uh the first op for part five how both of these have that nice uh like jazzy espionage feel to them um yeah i will say that i expected something a little bit more epic with this song as with you mentioned part three the second op which i think is called end of the world um even though i prefer stand proud as the op for part three um that one had this epic feel to it Um, and even part fives uh the traitor's requiem the second op even that had a sort of finality and epicness to it this just kind of sounds like a, a casual rock song to me rather than you know, there's there's so much at stake with part six being the conclusion of, I guess, the first universe of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure that you'd want to put in OP that ends things on a really high note. So don't don't get me wrong, it's it's a great song. I just hope that it would have been greater. I guess uh, lyrics wise, um, just to pull out a couple things, like the first line of the song is "Destiny is mine in spite of all my fear." so that the future may continue on its path, shoot a thread of light. So obviously a reference there with the thread to Stone Free's ability, and of course the theme of destiny that's prevalent in, or prominent in JoJo, 
and the line, the future may continue on its path. Very evocative of what happens at the end of Stone Ocean. And I know that we probably have a lot to say about the final version of this OP in the final episode for Stone Ocean, particularly because there are so many callbacks to previous OPs and previous JoJo parts. Uh, but we'll obviously save that for our discussion of the final episode. Uh, the one thing I wanted to point out, though, that was a callback to part one that you can see in this OP is the final shot of Jolene's running start with Stone Free. I kept thinking to myself, I've seen this before, but I can't figure out where. And after perusing through things online, I realized that her running start is is an homage to Jonathan Joestar's running start at the end of the very first OP of JoJo. So I, I very much appreciate that Jonathan wasn't left out um, in homages for this part because I feel like he's always the odd man out when it comes to the other JoJo protagonists. But again, just bringing everything full circle by having one of his further descendants in the Joestar lineage copy a move that <laughs> he's done or be... Uh, in homage to a move that he's done. Also, Jolene's in her manga colors, if you notice. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Unfortunately, we don't have much to discuss about the ED because it's the same ED, Distant Dreamer. However, there are a couple new things that appear in the ED besides just the ocean waves. I think there's one of, is it Savage Garden? The the bird flying yeah, over. Yeah, there's also a butterfly. There's some dolphins. Mm. We actually go under the water this time. Um, so yeah, it's very minor changes. I see. Yeah, the dolphins because Dolphin Street and Jotaro loves dolphins. And the dolphins save Emporio <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think it was also evocative of the climax. And at first, I was like, really, they're gonna not give us a new ED for this part. But then I remembered. There was Roundabout. Roundabout took us straight mm -hmm. through parts one and two. They never changed it. And I'm glad they didn't. That was like the fucking best ED. <laughs> so I guess I can't be too salty about it because it's not like this is the first time that JoJo's Bizarre Adventure has ever had a single ED. It's just weird when it's paired with different OPs. And of course, we'll discuss in length the epicness of that ED when we discuss the final episode of Stone Ocean. So hang tight. So we're back with the third core of Stone Ocean. And the first thing we get after a bit of a recap is Emporio, Jolene, and Hermes looking out across the water at Green's, Green Dolphin Street Prison. And you have that funny moment between Jolene and Hermes where they joke about that place being a shithole. But then you also have Emporio seeing all of these things for the first time in his life. He's like, holy shit, that's a gas station. Holy shit, that's a bus stop. Oh my God, are we going to actually be on a bus for once? And I'm like, all these things that are just so commonplace for us that we take for granted, he is freaking out over. Unfortunately, he doesn't get to ride the bus, um, but you know, he's excited to even see what a bus stop is. Oh, how, how did they end up traveling then? To I know in the next episode they go to Romeo's mansion. I don't know. Did they get on a bus? I thought Hermes uh, was like, we can't get on a bus because we're wanted criminals and someone's gonna see our face. Mm. I don't know actually. How did they yeah. get across the water? Actually, I was gonna ask like, why is their prison escape just glossed over? And we just start the beginning of this episode with them having already escaped the prison. Well, at least they tell us how they escaped, which I mean, yeah, is using. Mew -mew using jailhouse locks mm -hmm. power through Mew Mew to just waltz on out because they don't even tell us how Anasui and Weather Report broke out. They're just yeah. like, we're breaking out of here. And then suddenly <laughs> they're like at a bathroom with an old man or something. I'm like, how did we, how did you guys even get out? If you could have gotten out that easily this whole time, why did you stay inside? Yeah, like Green Dolphin Street was touted as this maximum security prison, but <laughs> we don't even get the benefit of seeing how the prison posse left it's they probably yeah it's they just walked out for all we know they teleported i don't know <laughs> i think this also marks the last time we see jolene's like one piece outfit she flings off her prison jacket you know symbolizing that they're they've broken out of prison because i think in the next episode 
you see it like when she's confronting Romeo that it's more like a tube top um, and she doesn't have her belt that says Joe anymore. I think it's the number nine. Yeah, and it's like her her top's not a halter anymore. It's like a a tank top of sorts because it is that kind what of, it's called a halter halter a top. A halter top is like the exposed back. Oh, and then now she has like one of those. I don't remember what they were called. Like not like a fitted tank top. Like a, a tube top, isn't it? No, it's not because it has straps. Mm. Wait, one of them has straps. Did she change outfits multiple times in this this court? No, I think it's just the one time. Cause she has straps. Cause I, it like, it like doesn't obscure her Joe Star birthmark, but it's closer. I noticed the fabric was closer to it. Um, so she's got. Either way, she's got a different outfit. It's got some orange on it, but we won't see that I think until next episode. But yeah, that is a very symbolic moment when she throws her green dolphin street jacket off her body and sort of walks away. It's like a butterfly when a butterfly evolves I guess not yeah I guess not a evolves but you know it spreads its wings now and now she has a different design and this is really all we get from Jolene Hermes and Emporio for this episode because then we transition to uh, you know current state weather report and Anasui and this is actually one of the first times we're seeing weather report and Anasui interact if you think about it because They've known each other for a decent amount of time. We can assume that through their connection with Emporio and the fact that when Anasui and Weather Report were first introduced, they were in Emporio's room. But Anasui left because he was being all moody and stuff. So we, I don't think we've seen them interact until this very moment. Yeah, which is this kind is of exciting because, like, yeah, Emporio's a guy, but like they're like the guys of the JoJo. The, the JoJo's, the Joe Bros for Stone Ocean. So it's nice that they're actually talking. There was a very, well, I wouldn't call it an interaction, but there was a moment, I guess, where technically they were together again, but that's when um, White Snake had taken on the form of Weather Report. Right. When he was going to go kill Foo Fighters and everybody. So I wouldn't even call that an interaction because it wasn't even really Weather Report. Because they're also just... Who is it? Emporio says that they're very closely tied together in prison. Yeah, I think so. I want to say my assumption is that Anasui and Weather Report have known each other for a decent amount of time, again, through their connection with Emporio, even before Jolene showed up with Hermes and kind of built out this whole group with Foo Fighters. So, yeah, like obviously we get a lot more of their interactions in part three, but it's it's very few if you think about it compared to all the stuff that we see with like Jolene and Hermes or Jolene and Emporio. Um, so I think it would have been nice to see more of their relationship in part three because I feel like it's just this and then uh, Weather Report's demise later on. I don't know if I'm missing another interaction between him and Anasui in between. but Yeah, that, that I can think of. Yeah. But this interaction is all about Weather Report's star birthmark that suddenly like appeared on his shoulder. And I, I I read the manga, but when you first saw that in the trailer for Stone Ocean, the third core, I know you were kind of like, what the fuck? Yeah, I thought that meant he was a part of the Joestar bloodline. Uh, but I, I was kind of figuring out like how that could be possible. Yeah, I would say, I know we talked about um, the trailer for Stone Ocean Third Core in one of our earlier episodes when it, right around the time that it released, and we both agreed that that was a really spoiler-heavy trailer. I mean, they talk about Sons of Mm -hmm. Dio, they showed the birthmark on Weather Report's shoulder. I'm like, damn, you might as well just show us the ending at this point. So I guess it's not as impactful when you're actually watching the episode, but that would have been cool, you know? Like as a, an anime-only person being like, wait, what the fuck? Why does Weather Report have a birthmark and be freaking out the same way Anasui is? So my understanding is he has the birthmark because of his connection to Poochie? He's blood-related to Poochie. So now that Poochie has a star birthmark through Dio, I guess everyone that's blood-related to Poochie is also going to have a star birthmark. So now they're all JoJo's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, because it's just that Joe Star birthmark characteristic from the Joe Star line that's causing anyone affected by it to also affect their relatives. Well, if the baby had the birthmark because Dio had Jonathan's body, 
then when the baby fused with Poochie, it was kind of symbolizing like Poochie and ha- has become a part of Dio, but also a part of Jonathan technically. So mm-hmm. I guess the yeah, the tr- the trickle down effect from there is anyone blood related to Poochie is also going to have a fucking birthmark now. Okay. So I imagine if their sister were still alive, she would also have a birthmark. But basically, this was also a hint that Weather Report and Poochie are related in some way. Yes, that that's really mm-hmm. what it was. That that was the the big thing there was to hint to everybody Weather Report has some strong connection with Poochie. Not that he has a strong connection with the Joe Stars. And speaking of Poochie, um, we switch over to where he's at, and he's on his way somewhere away from the jail in a car, and he gets confirmation that Jolene and Hermes have broke out of the prison because there's a radio station alert. Um, notifying everyone of these escaped convicts. And then he makes his way to a hospital where he witnesses signs of threes in all different places. Three shooting stars, three ambulances, three items falling from the guys on the stretchers toward him, a ring, a bullet, and a quarter. Um, Three bullets fired, which I think hit Ngallo. So you get like these threes, which he takes as a sign that these are Dio's sons. Um, he could have just looked at their shoulders and seen the birthmark and probably gotten that confirmation. But uh, it's it's all about fate and signs. And that's really what's been guiding Poochie since Dio's demise because he doesn't have Dio to, to tell him what he needs to be doing. How did he know that it was Dio's sons, though? I'm going to guess he could sense them. Because if Poochie and Jolene can sense each other mm. now that he has a birthmark... And Weather Report can sense them because he's got a birthmark. I'm going to assume that he was able to sense the three of them. Okay. Because, yeah, I figure, like, oh, because it's threes, it's evocative of Dio having three letters in his name or something. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, because, see, there are three of them. I don't know. I, I could just be pulling at strings. And then Pucci stabs himself with Ungalo's scissors and gives Ungalo the option to move the scissors. Uh, you know a few centimeters over in order to kill him and at first i was like why is poochie doing that but i think the reason is because he's testing ungalo to see if dio's blood and dio's will is stronger than whatever ungalo would choose to do so basically saying like this is fate you and i are going to be connected because of dio's will and even if you had the opportunity to kill me you're not going to kill me because i'm too important to dio's overall plan Mm mm-hmm and then he even says, um, he tells him, Pucci tells Ungalo here, um, that it's the gravitational pull that drew Ungalo to Pucci. And this is where we start to get more and more talk about gravity. And we've we've heard about gravity a couple of times peppered throughout the first and second cores. But again, this is really where Pucci takes that idea and puts that into motion, especially when he gets a stand that can control gravity. And I do want to call this out because... Um, Pucci's talking about the gravitational pull almost in the way that the Joe Stars and Joe Bros talk about how stand users are attracted to other stand users. There was a moment in, I think, the first core of Stone Ocean where Hermes is talking to Emporio. And I think one of the two of them tells the other that stand users, stand users are attracted to each other um, like gravity. Something like that. Like they say that stand users are attracted to one another through gravity or like gravity. Like they're pulled together like gravity. And I think that was, I wrote down here episode six. So I'm guessing maybe first core episode six. So I saw, I noticed that and I'm like, oh shit, that's like the first or one of the early mentions of gravity. But we'll get a shitload more of that as this third core progresses. So there's a scientific reason that stand users attract other stand users it's through gravity kind of like how, i guess so yeah <laughs> <laughs> like the force can be measured through midichlorians <laughs> and then we jump back to weather report and anasui and they're at a rest stop um going to the bathroom i guess and weather report is just so nice here because he helps an old man by catching some of his groceries that fall and then making it so that the space around him isn't raining because the old man says that his knee hurts every time it rains. And I'm like, How, what's not to love about Weather Report? He's fucking awesome. And then- um, Is he? He is. <laughs> well, He's so awesome. <laughs> we learn about him a little bit more later. Hey, he did nothing wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this 
forever when we get to the weather report arc in a few episodes. I don't think he did anything wrong because he didn't know any better. <laughs> but either way, he's still awesome in this moment to help the old man. And it pays off because when Anasui and him are trying to figure out how they're going to get to wherever Jolene is, they also say a bus is not an option because people will recognize us. And then the old man's like, well, you can come with me in my car. And then he throws them in the And just back. ride in the flatbed. Like, I that's mean, it's not Florida, you know? <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe that's <laughs> good rationale. We get a, a quick snippet of what's to come or a quick moment of foreshadowing because when they agreed to go with the old man, the camera zooms in on the bathroom sign, which is like the men's restroom sign, but the character is gone. You can just sort of see like a dirty outline of what would have been the like stick figure-esque men's restroom sign whatever you want to call it um so that's like an initial like an immediate foreshadowing to what they're about to experience on the flatbed of that truck i think i was reading that in the manga adaptation the stick figure was actually from a pedestrian sign so they just switched it up here again as that indicator that something is amiss And then we get to the very sad but um, sort of anticipated moment of no shit being Disney. (laughs) So for those who aren't familiar, um, the manga has a couple of references to Disney, specifically Mickey Mouse. We had had speculated back in the first core of Stone Ocean that um, they couldn't or didn't want to get the rights to any of the Disney references, especially with jojo's bizarre adventure being um under warner brothers because there's that moment where hermes is i think when she first discovers her stand powers she's questioning her own sanity and she's like i know what i'm talking about mickey mouse's birthday is blah 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 date but they switched it in the anime to bugs bunny's birthday so we all kind of figured fuck this is not going to be a disney reference thing when we get to this part with anasui and weather report although in the manga they didn't uh, I be- I guess besides that, they didn't outwardly reference Mickey Mouse in this part. I think even Araki had his limits, uh, according to his, the, like the publishers. So he only had to dr- he only drew uh, Mickey Mouse's tail. So I feel like they could have incorporated that a little bit. Well, then I don't know what this like what the translations are like the English translations for the manga, because it says, look at this weather. What a crappy guidebook. None of the characters are on it. I want to see the Disney characters. God damn it. Where the fuck is Mickey? Fuck's sake. If there's no Mickey, this this <laughs> shit ain't Disney. So I, that, that could just be the liberty of like whoever was localizing the manga. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no real beefy reference to Mickey. Like, so I guess not beef reference. Like, there's no visual reference to Mickey in the manga. We don't have any reference at all to anything Disney in the anime. Well, one of the dwarves later mentions Chewbacca. And Chewbacca is part of Star Wars, which is part of the Disney Corporation. So that was the timing. Yeah, the timing is weird because, I mean, Disney only acquired Star Wars a few years ago. But, Uh, like, I mean, 2015. So well, whatever more, you know, more what I mean. than or not 2000, 2012. I'm sorry. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> so I guess that is weird. They they've owned Disney for a, or they've owned Disney. They've owned Star Wars for a while, and yeah, he does he does mention Chewbacca. Maybe that's maybe they tried to get the rights, but Disney was like, all right, we'll give you Chewbacca, but we won't give you Mickey. <laughs> See, this makes me think like, why? How does like South Park have so much liberty with? using copyrighted characters. They probably characters. just do it and don't give a shit at <laughs> South Park. <laughs> they can argue fair use or parody. I feel like you could do that with JoJo and then you could be more faithful to Araki's vision. Yeah, I don't know. We all, we all figured it was going to pan out this way. So instead of that, Anasui just basically says there's no characters in this guidebook. He keeps it very vague, very general. But then we do get references to Pinocchio and Snow White and I know there was some question about that, but... I think maybe they can get away with it here because technically those are folk tales. They're yeah. not Disney tales. Like the iteration done by Disney is owned by Disney, but the overall folk tale, I would assume, is a folk tale, therefore is fair game. I think also these stories are in the public domain. So Disney doesn't own the rights to Pinocchio. It's kind of like how I think this year, uh, Winnie the Pooh 
just went, entered the public domain. So it was no longer under Disney's or it, the rights were no longer under Disney. And that's why you have that weird horror film coming out soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, again, the character can now be used freely in the public domain. So, yeah, I think it's the same case with Pinocchio here and with Snow White that the anime and, I guess, Araki were free to use it because they weren't owned by Disney. We also have references to, in this particular episode, there's more that'll show up in the next episode, so we'll save those for then. But I caught the Batman reference and the Astro Boy reference. Yes. I think in the manga, they originally referenced Spider-Man. But of course, Spider-Man is part of Marvel, which is part of Disney, so you can't use Spider-Man. But Batman is part of DC, which is under Warner Brothers label, so you can use him. And I'm not complaining because I'm a Batman fan, but again, it's it's all about being as faithful to the manga as you possibly can in this case. Uh, really quick, there is no eye catch for this episode with stand stats. And I think it's just because there is no physical manifestation of Bohemian Rhapsody's stand. Although I don't know in the second episode if there is an eye catch for it, but we'll see. And for anyone who wants to see the manga translation for This Shit Ain't Disney, we'll share that screenshot as well in the Discord. What other references were there? There is Terminators T-1000. We mentioned Chewbacca, Elephant Man, Batman, Astro Boy, and the, the two other robots with him. Um, oh, Little Red Riding Hood. I think those were all the references. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she shows up at the yeah, end. She's just sitting. Uh, was it... On the bus that Weather Report was with or was riding in? Yeah, and he was just like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason he's just like, okay, is because he's unaffected given that he doesn't have any memories since they were taken from Poochie. So I noticed that a lot of the characters would go up to Anasui or to people and say, hey, I'm your favorite character, right? Like, this is your favorite story, right? And I think the intent is Bohemian Rhapsody trying to find the character that resonates the most with a person. That way, they're the that's the easiest route to get them sucked into the stand power because it's it's pulling them into what would be the story behind that character or, you know, book or whatever um, in order to remove that person from reality and put them into fantasy so that it can do whatever it needs to do to kill them. But what's key here, as we learn at the very final moments of the episode, is that um, the events of whatever story you get pulled into have to play out exactly like the story. So then what of Pinocchio's death? I don't he, know, but I would assume yeah, that the if, ending of that spoiler alert is that <laughs> Pinocchio becomes a boy. <laughs> I would assume that um that if honestly got pulled into the Pinocchio story, then suddenly he would get eaten by Moby Dick. Is it wait, is Moby Dick <laughs> is that a different no, story? Wait, what? Is, isn't no, Pinocchio Moby eaten Dick. by a whale? <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, what? No, Moby Dick is the whale. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> it's Captain <laughs> Ahab who chases after Moby Dick. Wait, is Moby Dick related to Pinocchio? No, that's a completely different story. Wait, how does Pinocchio? Why do no, I? No, P- Pinocchio does get eaten by a whale oh, at yeah. least in the the Disney film. <laughs> I don't know in the folktale, wherever. But yeah, it its name wasn't Moby Dick. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. Clearly, Pinocchio is not my favorite character, so I'd be okay there. <laughs> I watched that movie when I was younger, and God, that. The Pinocchio, Disney's Pinocchio was, was fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, the way Pinocchio explains it, is like a place of freedom where anyone can go and live out their storybook fantasies. But again, like the, those events have to play out similar to the story, which is why when Anasui kills the big bad wolf, he says, oh shit, just like in the story, as his head gets chopped mm-hmm. off. So we'll see that come into play in the next episode when Anasui actually has his life on the line so the pinocchio thing is just araki forgot because i guess so <laughs> or like was snow white dispense of him maybe like he has to eat the poison apple but then weather reports eating that fucking apple while he's reading the snow white storybook oh yeah well, but it's it's prince charming who saves her in the next episode right that that was that restaurant owner and so that's why that story played out correctly yeah, so I think maybe that's why Pinocchio is asking him, like, who's your favorite character, blah, 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 because they're trying to, maybe they're trying to find 
a story where the character Anasui would become then dies okay. or at least just to pull him out of reality. Because so, if you pull him out of reality, then that's it. So maybe you could argue that since Pinocchio wasn't Anasui's favorite character, that's why he was able to just kill him off so easily. But then I wonder if all of the characters are under control of the stand and the stand wants to kill Anasui and Weather Report, the men's washroom, the men's bathroom sign, the stick figure... If he were to have attacked Anasui, what would he have done? <laughs> Am I your favorite bathroom sign? Is this your favorite bathroom? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then he like drowns him in the toilet or something. I don't know. <laughs> and that brings us to our final thoughts for part six, episode 25, Bohemian Rhapsody 1. So did this episode catch you in a landslide? No escape from reality? Um... Sure. <laughs> this episode, I feel like, was a great start to the final core, the third core of Stone Ocean. I enjoyed it because it it immediately gave us a status report on where everybody's at. Where are Jolene, Hermes, and Emporio? Where is Poochie? Where are Weather Report and Anasui? What is their goal now that they've escaped the prison? So, because that's a big change. It is a huge change, actually, for this entire um part of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, everything has been confined to this prison. Now we have this huge location shift, environment shift to outside of the prison and into the wild, wild west of Florida, basically, which is totally opposite because it's on the East Coast. Um, and it's nice to be able to say, okay, I, I've got my my bearings because now I understand where everyone's at and what they're working toward. With that said, I think that um, Bohemian Rhapsody is a very overwhelming stand because watching this episode for the first time, despite having read the manga, I was kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I felt the way that Anasui felt in that moment. He's just like, what the hell's going on? Why are these characters running around? Like, I knew the concept behind Bohemian Rhapsody from reading the manga previously, but even still, it's just kind of like wrapping your head around all of the craziness that's happening in this episode. So it is a an intense way to bring you back into the story. But then, of course, we see all of that play out in the next episode. But either way, I'd rather have an intense re-entry into the story than one that's boring or doesn't capture your attention. What about you? Yeah, we're barely out of the prison, and there's already so much wacky shit going on in this episode. Uh, but despite the omission of one of part six's most iconic lines, I would say, this was a good episode to come back to and to introduce especially... Anasui and Weather Report's first team up. Uh, and I guess it's a, a rare occasion to also see a stumped Anasui as he tries to navigate through this fantasy land fiasco and figure out how to get by this stand. Uh, it was a bit jarring to see the, the Jojo-fied versions of beloved childhood characters such as Pinocchio and the Seven Dwarves. They look very creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, reminds me of... Oh, what was it? the the puppet or the doll from part three. Oh, the one that attacked Polnareff in the yeah. hotel room yeah it looks or even to that. like um some of it's Boingo's like, Boingo's drawings yeah it's, it's like if you took the uh, that puppet and then drew that puppet in Oingo Boingo style yeah so nice callback to Boingo again um but it was still entertaining to see how many pop pop culture references they could stick into this episode without bordering on copyright infringement as much as it couldn't be faithful to the cameos in the original manga. And also just bringing in that plot line to have Poochie have Dio's forgotten children involved in his overall scheme to attain heaven. I know we didn't talk about that too much this episode, but I thought it was an interesting touch to continue the theme of bringing things full circle in part six and a nice continuation of this concept of Dio having children on Earth still that was introduced in part five. Although I feel like a Giorno cameo would have been the cherry on top, uh, but obviously that didn't play out. Uh, but all in all, it was a fun and goofy start to the third core of Stone Ocean, but I guess we shall wait until next week to see how Anasui's fucked up fairy tale ends. And speaking of Giorno, we will acknowledge the Giorno piece of the manga. I think when we get to a specific part um, of like the Sons of Dio arc. So stay tuned for that. We just figured this is probably not the best episode to talk about it. We'll talk about it in a few episodes. And it's so good to be back. It's been like 
two weeks since we've been behind the microphone, so it's nice to be sitting down again and recording. Really good to be back talking about the final core of Stone Ocean. I can't believe we're here. It's scary because who knows how many years it's going to be before we get a part seven adaptation. Yeah, so let's let's absorb every moment of this that we can, and we're so excited to be able to talk about these last 14 episodes with you guys every single week for the next 14 weeks. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening, and we hope that you'll join us um, every week for the next 14 weeks. I don't know, that number just sticks in my head because it was 12 episodes and then 12 episodes and then 14 episodes. Yes, because uh, how many total are there in part six? 38. Uh, 38. 38. So we're in it for the long haul, but the end of Stone Ocean will be here before we know it. Thank you guys again. We appreciate you. Subscribe, as always, to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash Series and tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.